Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. And uh, I don't know if JT said it, but I'm going to be wrapping up our Vineyard, <clears throat> our Vineyard Distinctive series today. And uh, the purpose of this series hasn't been like an infomercial on how great you know, the vineyard is. And it's really been because we, we know we have a lot of newer folks in the church and uh, this is a great way for us to sort of, you know, pull back the curtain a bit and say, this is, this is why we do what we do. This is really what drives us as a, as a church. And, and so it's for new folks, but it's also for people. And as I look around this room, there's lots of you have been here for years. Uh, and my hope has been that this, this series has been uh, a refresher for you. And it's actually maybe even stirred you up uh, a little bit. And when you look in the Bible... Uh, the, bio, the church is described as, as a body, right? One body with lots of parts. And if you look at the global church, this massive uh, body of Christ, what we see are different, ex, uh, different uh, streams, different movements all around the world, different expressions of uh, uh, God's heart for the world, if you will. And, and it's, so it's important for us to look at our distinctives. It's important for us to look at who we believe as a movement God has made us to be because those distinctives really, they help us uh, determine our values and our practices. And so in this series, uh, I'll quickly go through what we've been looking at. We've been looking at these little phrases, sort of, you know, vineyard bumper sticker phrases, if you will, that helps capture these distinctives. So two weekends ago, Heather talked about the main and the plain. She talked about already and the not yet. She talked about naturally, supernatural, and then last weekend, JT talked about to be one, ask one. Okay, that was a joke, but uh, <clears throat> okay, that's a rough start. Boy, <laughs> no respect. But no, JT talked about worshipers of God. He talked about come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And then last weekend, he ended off with everyone gets to play. And if you haven't been here for the series and you're like, well, what, are, what, are those, what do those mean? We have uh, CDs for you for both the last two weekends on the info counter. They're free for your taking and strongly encourage you to grab them. But as I look at that list of distinctives, the, the last one that JT looked at last weekend, that everyone gets to play, I think really uh, uh, captures who we are as a vineyard, as, the, as a movement. And I remember when I was 19 years old, I experienced the vineyard for the first time. I, I uh, went to the first, the first vineyard church in Canada. It was in Western Canada, just outside of Vancouver. Uh, in fact, Helen, my wife, one of our first dates was to, uh, to the vineyard. We went to the vineyard church. It, uh, it <laughs> I'm a romantic. It... Uh, <laughs> Uh, cheap, it was a cheap date. <laughs> okay. Ugh. But the church met in the conference, uh, a conference room attached to a hockey rink, which was awesome. You know, uh, almost heaven. But here's the thing, we would, it was a life-changing season in our lives. I can remember parking our car and almost running in a church. It was like parking the car and going into Kings Island. Because literally, there was this, this expectation and excitement of, we're going to meet with God. And what is he going to do? You know, what is he going to do this weekend as we gather together? And, and, and during that season, again, what really grabbed me as a young man was this whole thing of everyone gets to play. Suddenly this faith, this being a Christian, it's, it, it wasn't a powerless faith, right? That we could actually have impact it wasn't just a, you know, a faith where, okay, you just need to be nice people, nice to people, and, and avoid sin. It wasn't where we just hear these cool stories. We actually got to be, to do it. 
We got to be part of those stories. You know, we were being taught how to hear God's voice. We were being taught how to pray for the sick, how to cast out demons. In Jesus' name, I hope this works, right? We, <clears throat> it was this, it, this incredibly exciting time where we got to jump into it and work right alongside Jesus. <clears throat> and I remember one time, you know, it's all new to us and we're trying to learn all this stuff all this uh, kingdom stuff, and, and we were at this, uh, an event at church, and I looked across the room, and there were a group of people who were praying for this man, and I knew him, and, but as soon as I looked at him, this phrase went through my mind, like, real quick, and it was, go pray, Lazarus come forth, and I remember I looked at him, and I sort of walked away, and I thought, what is that? Like, where did that come from? And in those days, we were, we were really encouraged to take risks, and so I thought, well, maybe that's God, and I walked over to him, and tried to muster up some strength, and I just, you know, sheepishly put my hand up, and I just said, uh, Lazarus, come forth. And when I said that, it was like a bomb went off. This guy just started to shake, and then he shot backwards onto the, onto the floor. And I can remember, like, everyone back away. You know, I don't know, I don't know what this thing is capable of. And it was just, and it was like a sense of, what, what was that? You know, and, and the thing that, as I look back on that time, there was an awakening inside our hearts, inside our souls. There was an awakening to the power and presence of God. And, and more importantly, there was an awakening to this, this invitation from God. Like, hey, you want to do this? You want to get in on this? You can do this too. And I found as I've gotten older and, you know, having children and, and, and now especially as a, as a pastor, I realize I want and I pray for that awakening for, for everyone especially for our young people, especially for our kids, that there, there would be an awakening of, of, uh, of that, the power and presence of God, but, but that invitation from God, like, yeah, you, you can do this too. Everyone, everyone gets to play. And one of the things I've been observing these last two weekends as we've been in this series is that really that's been happening, that awakening. I've seen a hunger being stirred up in people, I've, 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 uh, I've heard people talking about just a greater expectation, and I've observed a greater uh, participation. People who normally, when we say, come on, let's gather around and pray for someone, and they'd be like, ah, it's, time, it's potty break time. I've seen them getting up and going over, and okay, here we go. And so as I uh, wrap up the series today, my prayer and my expectation is that is that, that awakening will Continue. So let's pray, and then I'm going to jump in and look at uh, three more distinctives, but let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, just another day, another opportunity to gather. I thank you for each one that's here. I love that you know us. You know what we're thinking, what we're feeling. You know what's going on in all of our lives. And I, I do pray today that your invitation... Uh, your invitation for relationship with you, your invitation to, for participation in your work, all, just all the, wherever, whatever we need today, I pray that uh, you would be personal with each one here. And I do pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. We welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna be jumping around a bit, different verses, so uh, they'll be up on the screens. <coughs> and... Um, like I said, I'm going to be looking at three distinctives, but I'll give you a spoiler alert. There's actually going to be a bonus, bonus distinctive, and I'll let you know the lights will flash when we get there. It'll be very exciting. But number one in your notes is equipping the saints. This is a vineyard distinctive, equipping the saints. 
And when I say saints, I just mean followers of Jesus. And because everyone gets to play, then it's really important that everyone is also equipped to play. It's not just, you know, run, just run amok. No, we want to, there's instruction needed. There are tools that we want to put in in people's hands. And so uh, Ephesians 4.11 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So why is this a distinctive? It's a distinctive of equipping the saints because we believe one of the primary reasons you have leadership in a church is to equip the people, is to equip the church to do the works of Jesus. And so when I think of what it means to be a pastor or be a leader in a church, I think of sort of uh, like a sports analogy of being a player coach. That yes, sometimes we're on the field, but more often than not, the goal for a pastor and a leader in the church is to be having that role as a coach behind the bench, if you will, and but both instructing and encouraging, equipping others to get onto the field. And to play. So it's equipping the saints. It's everyone gets to play, not not just the you know, quote unquote professionals. And I remember back in the late eighties, <clears throat> early nineties. I remember wearing rugby pants, and uh, I also remember going, we used to drive down from Vancouver to Anaheim lots for conferences. We'd go down there, uh, and, and typically at these conferences, John Wimber would be teaching, and uh, more often than not, he would be Uh, teaching out of the gospels and we would be looking at Jesus like what did Jesus do and how did Jesus do it and 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 uh, normally what would happen well really every time what would happen is after the teaching we would have in those days what was called a clinic or what we now call ministry time where that other vineyard distinctive that we would pray come Holy Spirit you know what we need come lead us right now how do we pray who do we pray for and, you know, and there would be a call forward and people would come forward. And what I observed in these conferences, and I would do this myself, uh, as people came forward, wherever Wimber was on the stage, that's where the people would go. That's where they'd sort of you know, line up or cluster because they wanted the, the man of power to pray for them. And the truth was, John Wimber, if you ever heard him speak, or I, I don't know if I've ever known or, or observed anyone that moved in such authority and power and such clear uh, discernment. But what was amazing to me, and again, in this, in this theme, this distinctive of, of equipping the saints was many times what I observed in these, in these conferences was Wimber, yes, he would pray for some people, but typically what he would do is he would sort of step back and, and pull other people in. Now you pray, you pray for them, you can pray for them. Here's what you say, you know, equipping the saints. And many times he would sort of look over the room, make sure everything, you know, no, everything is sort of, covered and he would leave right the the big man would would leave the room and in a sense when I look back in those days and, and and what we try to continue now is is when you talk about who the ministry team was remember last week and what did JT say who are the ministers okay that was pretty weak he'd <laughs> like is it a trick question someone said Jesus who are the ministers? We are, right? Well, thump, bump, bump. That sounded great. We, it's us. And I can remember back in those days when there would be, you know, there would be a conference, there'd be like a few thousand people. It would be like square dancing. Oh, grab your partner. Like they would, they would say to us, okay, all these people that want prayer, now get up, 
go over to them and they would equip us. They would give us tools. Go up to them, ask them what's wrong. Why do, why do they want prayer? Um, uh, put a hand on their shoulder. Invite the Holy Spirit. And, he, and, and they would always say, now remember prayers, keep your eyes open, look for what Jesus is doing. Can you, know, can you see movement? Is there something going on, some evidence of, you know, of him working in that person? Keep your ears open, listen. They were equipping the saints. They were teaching us how to, how to mimic Jesus, how to do what Jesus did. And you know, I was reading... I'm reading through the book of John right now, and we don't have a slide for this, Laurie, but I was reading in John 4 uh, the other day, and in John 4, at the start of that chapter, it talks about Jesus baptizing people, and then it says in, in brackets, it says, actually, the disciples were doing all the baptizing. And I'm like, isn't that awesome? Here's the Messiah, the, talk about the man of power, and he's going to his disciples, no, you do it. Let me show you how to do it. You do it. He's equipping the saints, and one of the things that I love about this church, about VCDC, is how much ministry goes on where pastors aren't involved. Like, that's a really healthy sign. And, I mean, I think of the food pantry, the medical clinic, where, uh, uh, you know, twi- two Mondays a month, there are people here that are loving on people. They're uh, encouraging people. They're meeting people's physical needs. They're, um, they're praying for people. I think, and this is a huge number of people, think every week when uh, the small groups that are going on in the church. We have loads of small groups. And think of how many people are being ministered to. The works of Jesus are going on in all these small groups. You know, I, was, uh, I had a conversation with someone uh, earlier this week, <clears throat> and they said, uh, I think it was an article and it was on the internet, so it's true. But they said, uh, if, in the United States, for churches that have small groups, if you have 40 to 50% of your people uh, attending those small groups, participating, you're doing a great job. If you have 50 to 60%, you're doing a really good job. Well, here at VCDC, and this is not, again, it's not an infomercial, it's to make a point, we have between 70 and 80% of our church are in small groups. Oh, pulled a muscle. I pulled some fat in my leg. Okay. Now people listening would be like, that was random. But but why do I say that? I say that because that is a that is a, a, a picture of equipping the saints. Because that means then why our small groups are doing so well is because our small group leaders are so awesome. But it's because they've been equipped. We train them on a, on a quarterly basis. We have, we have leaders' meetings where we try to continue this equipping process. We're getting more, uh, more people involved. And, and, you know, JT announced this morning, it's, it's the reason why we have these equipped classes, equipping the saints. Equipped, it's like the same word. Our goal is for everyone to take those classes because we want to, you know, if, if you've got your Christian utility belt, we want to load you up with tools, and uh, uh, this next one that's coming up, JT was saying, is a perfect one. Heather's going to be, uh, Heather Kamir is going to be teaching on the 14th in the cafe on how to pray like Jesus. And, she, and what you're going to do in that class is you'll be taught, you'll be given tools, and then you'll get to practice them. And let me just say as a side note, when I look at my Christian utility belt, I think one of the most powerful tools that we've been given as Christians is this question, can I pray for you? at work, in the neighborhood. I don't know if I've, I mean, once or twice I've been refused by someone offering them prayer. Everyone wants prayer. Everyone wants to be loved on and cared for. It's It's a powerful tool that we'll be given. And let me encourage you, if you haven't taken that class, take the class. 
And then on the weekends, after every service, we give time for prayer you know, in our ministry time or in your small group when they pray. Take what you've been equipped with and put it into practice. John Wimber once said, you can't learn how to heal the sick by reading a book or mastering a technique. You believe what Jesus promised and then you get out and do it. You just have to get out and do it. And, you know, and that's where now we have the bonus. We have the bonus distinctive. So this is 1A for my note takers. It's not 2. Another vineyard distinctive is faith is spelled. (laughs) Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. I think that's what I heard you say. Faith is spelled risk. In this whole thing of, you know, of, of jumping into what Jesus is doing when you step out in faith, it's a risk. And I mean, just think about what it would have been like to follow Jesus around and try to learn from Jesus, right? I picture the disciples, uh, uh, you know, they've all got their little iPad and they're, you know, and they're, and they're taking notes. They're watching Jesus and they're taking notes. And can you imagine, you know, okay, how to pray for the sick? They, got that, they open up another, another page and they're going along and there's Jesus and here they're, they're coming along and there's a blind man. And they're going, okay, here we go. How to pray for a blind man. And Jesus walks up and basically he just says, he just goes, see. And the guy is healed. And he said, I don't know if the guy is Spanish. (laughs) But he says, ha ha, discipleship humor. But then he says, you just say the word see and it works. Okay, I got this, next page. But then a little while later, here's another blind guy. And you're like, you go back to that page and you're like, I know how to do this. And then you look at Jesus and you, know, you look up and he's spitting in the guy's eye. And you're like, I'm not sure what's going on here, but sometimes you spit in his eye. And, and then the next time, here comes a guy and you're not sure, you know, should I get ready? And you see, you see Jesus, he's doing it again. You're like, I know what he's gonna do. He's gonna spit in his eye. But what does he do this time? He spits on the ground, and he gets some mud, and he rubs mud on the guy's eyes. And can you imagine trying to learn his technique? The disciples are, I just think he's making it up as he's going along, right? I mean, he's just, he is messing with us big time. But the truth is, the truth is Jesus did have a technique. He really did, and here's what it was. And this is like probably one of the key verses of the vineyard. John 5, 19 says this. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. I mean, that should be like a ding, ding, ding to us. If the son of God could do nothing on his own, he could only do what he saw his father doing. Well, that's saying, I think we need to, how much more us to be, and, and really the technique of Jesus is this, and it's, it's three words. The technique of, of Jesus is one, abide. It's abide, it's, it's a daily, intimate relationship with our Father. Everywhere we go, whatever we're doing, there's, we know we have to you know, uh, lean into that relationship with God, that he's with us, that we're with him. So abide is number one. Number two is expect. We need to expect as we go about our days and all that we do, that God is gonna invite us into play. He's gonna show us things. He's gonna point at someone in the grocery store. This person needs some encouragement. Or this person needs prayer or whatever it would be. So abide, expect, and then the last one, and this is where the risk comes in, then we need to obey. When we see what he's he's doing, we gotta step into it and obey. And I think it's risky because one, there is opposition to us tuning into what God is doing because the enemy does not want us 
obeying our Father and doing his work here on earth. So that's number one. Number two, uh, uh, we also have unbelief in our hearts. And we're just, we're cynical. Like sort of what I started off with, is that me? Was that God? Could it be God? Or was it, like, there's, there's a certain unbelief and cynicism. And, and the truth is, this whole thing of, of, of doing what Jesus did, we're, we're going on glimpses and nudges. And so that's why as leaders in the church, our job is to equip you, which means through teaching and through giving you lots of opportunities to practice. Now, let me ask this question. Wouldn't you say, and, and, and raise your hand if this is true, uh, wouldn't you say that as you take those risks, like I think that's God, but I'm not sure, but I'm gonna take a risk. Don't you find that over time you get way better at discerning when it's God and when it isn't? Is that true? Put your hand up real high. Okay, like that, I'm gonna write a book on that. I mean, like almost the whole room just put their hands up, or at least, yeah. So thank you for proving that. But again, our job is to teach and instruct, and then it, but then your, really your job is to take that step of risk as you've been equipped. Okay, let's keep moving. Numero dos. Number two, uh, plant churches that plant churches. <coughs> Another vineyard distinctive <coughs> is that the vineyard is a church planting movement. <coughs> and I, this week as I was uh, just working on this talk, I was thinking about John Wimber and, and uh, thinking about how he, he was an incredibly gifted and charismatic man. And he could have very easily put his time and energy into building a, a, a Wimber kingdom. Or, you know what I mean? Like, a, like a, a huge mega church. But you know, pretty much from the start of the vineyard, Wimber's practice was to give it away. And to say, hey, don't, don't be impressed with me. You can do this too. And, and so what, a lot, what we saw vineyard, uh, uh, Wimber doing, and really it continues to this day within the vineyard, is traveling around the world and, and basically saying that, that you can do this, calling people out, you're a pastor, you're a pastor, you're a leader, equipping people, training them, teaching them, and then coming alongside and, and helping them plant churches. The vineyard uh, is, is a church planting movement, and I'm so glad that that's part of our DNA because they planted a church up in Canada, right? I mean, this is the U.S. They don't care about Canada <laughs> other than our water and our wood <laughs> no, <laughs> and our hockey players. <laughs> but, but no, that, they, they, you know, their vision was beyond just Anaheim. It's beyond California. They went and planted. I mean, aren't you glad that Vineyard Columbus is a church-planting church? This church exists because Vineyard Columbus planted a church up here. And one of the, I was reading this week uh, online uh, about the vineyard, and there was this quote, and this quote says this, that the vineyard has been called one of the fastest growing church movements of our time, which is really awesome. Right now, in the, in the United States, there are <clears throat> 620 vineyards in the United States, 2,400 vineyards in 95 countries all around the world, and... Um, I know some of our church planning leaders within the movement, and they are praying for and working towards hundreds more in the United States and thousands more globally. Well, wh where does that passion come from? Why, why is that such a big value to be out planting churches? Well, very simply, what drives it is we believe that the world needs Jesus. And there's a, and, and there's a belief that, that God's plan of reaching the world is through the local church. 
that the most effective way of, of getting the word out, you know, the good news, evangelizing, the most effective way of gathering and discipling people is through, uh, through the local church. I mean, the internet is great, conferences are great, rallies are great, there's so many different resources, etc. But God's plan is to do his work through the local church. And when you hear the word church, <clears throat> don't think building, right? Think people. I am looking at the church. See, the church is a, it's a group of people, men and women, young and old, who have been awakened to the power and presence of God, who have been awakened to that invitation of, come on, son, come on, daughter. You know, our father's saying, it's go to work with your dad day every day. Right? That's, that's the church. And, and you know what? Uh, what is interesting to me is, <coughs> excuse me, we see this all throughout the New Testament, this, this advancement of the kingdom. You know, is, think of when Jesus ascended up back into heaven and, and persecution is breaking out in Jerusalem and, <clears throat> and, and the church is being spread. And, you know, try, sort of picture a map. You know how when they do that in movies and you see this color moving across the globe? And, you know, you see uh, as, as the church is moving out, as Paul's doing his missionary journeys, you just see the kingdom of God is advancing, right? And there's, and there's, there's men and women going out and they're, they're declaring the, the good news, they're proclaiming the good news, and then they're demonstrating it. I mean, read your Bible, read the book of Acts. There's signs and wonders and all these amazing things going on. And what do we see wherever that is happening is boop, 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 boop. we see churches popping up all over the place. The church is on the move. The church is advancing. I mean, the church isn't and shouldn't be stagnant. Right? A, ch a, a, a church that is alive is a church that's on the move. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 18. He's talking to Peter, and, and on this rock, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, in your Bible, it might say, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like, we're not on the defense. We're on offense, Right, this gathering of people that are just stepping out in faith, taking risks. That we don't, I, I wish sometimes we could see, like see that map. See your neighborhood as you go over and introduce yourself to your neighbor or offer this or offer that. And whether it's, whether it's spiritual, you say Jesus' name or offer to pray or you just go out and help shovel their driveway. That whew, you just see the kingdom advancing a little bit and a little bit, and a little bit. And I don't know, I don't know who, who this, whose quote this is, but I love this quote. It says, the church is an outpost of heaven in a, dark, in a world of death. I, I'm a real sci-fi buff, and I love movies where, uh, you know, there's sort of those futuristic dystopian movies where it's like everything is bleak and dark and, and, but in the midst of all that darkness, there's this one little remnant of light, right? You know those kind of movies and of hope and of goodness? Because what I love about those movies is I go, that's us. That's what the church is. We're a kingdom outpost, right? We're the remnant here on earth saying, hey, this, you know, there, there is a better way, right? And, and, uh, and, and so the vineyard, this distinctive of churches planting churches, it's, it's because we, our goal is wherever there are people, we want to plant churches. And, you know, when this, <clears throat> when the, uh, the plans for this building were being drawn up, the contractor came to Danny and Penny and the leaders at the time and said, hey, do you want me to draw in a phase two? 
Because typically when people build uh, churches or other buildings, they'll have multiple phases. And, you know, the plan would be here's phase one, and as the church grows, uh, you know, you, you blow out a wall, and there's phase two. And what Danny uh, said to them at the time is he said, no, we don't want a phase two, because our, our goal is not to have a mega church, and there's nothing wrong with mega churches, but we believe that we're called to be a, a church planting church. And so as the church fills up, that's an indicator to us that, hey, it's time to, it's time to plant another church. So in, in our years as a church, we've planted six uh, churches, and we just had in September our first grand church or grandbaby church, if you will. Uh, Rob and Julie Morgan in, here in Delaware City just planted up into Marion, uh, JR and Lauren uh, Isles. If you know them, be praying for them. Uh, that's a, a group of people have gone up there. And, but uh, one of the cool things about being a church planting church is that it makes room for more people to play. It makes room. It, it, it makes room for more people to get on the field. And I remember um, years ago, when it, back in Canada, when I was learning how to lead worship, uh, I was one of like eight to 10 really good worship leaders. And I was like junior guy. You know, like, hey, hey, junior guy, go change my strings. You know, hey, junior guy, go get me some coffee. And because I was the junior guy, I rarely got to lead until our church planted another church another community right near where we lived. And suddenly I went from junior guy to the guy. And now I got to be the worship leader. And I think, and it was like, you know, on the job training, I think that I got to grow as the church grew, that I, I think I grew as a leader with it. It's one of the beauties of, of church planning. More churches mean we need more leaders. We need more workers. And as, you know, as we send people out, then we need more people to fill uh, the places that people that we've sent out. And let me just say this, for, I know for some of our small group leaders, that's why from time to time we nudge you or encourage you, hey, you might want to consider raising up another couple of leaders and either handing this group off to them and you go start someone else or sending them out to start another small group because, we, because it just makes room for more people to get on the field and, and to play. And, you know, I'm already uh, praying about uh, our next church plant. Uh, when is that going to be? And uh, uh, where will that be? And, and then also, who will that be? I mean, I, in, I don't know, two, three, four, how, how many years? I wonder, as I look at this group, I wonder who of you may be on that team that we send out to plant. So number two, planting churches that plant churches. And then number three is this. It's remember the poor. Another vineyard distinctive is to remember the poor. And John Wimber, again, once said this. He said, if you aren't going to care for the poor, then don't use the vineyard name. That's, I don't think that's subtle. I think that's sort of to the point. But he's saying, if you aren't going to care for the poor, if you aren't going to remember the poor, if you aren't going to you know, make room for and, and pursue the poor, then don't use the vineyard name. And, and so why such strong language? And I'm going to look at two reasons why. Why in the vineyard this is, is a distinctive. Number one is this. Um, I said earlier that you know, one of our distinctives is main in the plain. And really what that means is we want to be a biblical people, which means we want to look at what Jesus did and do our best to follow his example. We want to be mimickers of Jesus. And so remember the poor 
really is it's just, it's doing what Jesus did. Uh, some of his first words as he embarked on his ministry, here he was uh, quoting the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4. Jesus said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I mean, what a statement. Jesus, it's like he's getting up saying, you want to know why I'm here? I'm here for the poor. I'm here, and the poor, there's lots of different types of poor. It's not just financially poor. There's people that are you know, living in helpless and hopeless situations, people being abused and used by others for their own, you know, for their gain. There's lots of different types of poor, and Jesus is saying, I am here to rescue. I am here to break chains of injustice. I'm here to lift burdens off of people. I'm here to bring healing and health to people, not just their bodies, but to their minds and their souls, and I'm here to bless. I'm here to, to lift up. That's the one that we, we say we want to follow. That's who we want to mimic. And you look at the example of Jesus where he talks about himself as the good shepherd. Remember that he was the one who said, I'm the good shepherd and I leave the 99 to go out and look for that one lost lamb. Because the 99 are okay. The 99, we've got each other. There's a, you know, we're home. We're safe. But the heart of Jesus is, I'm going out and I'm gonna go find that one lost lamb. And when you look at the vineyard movement globally, we see this all over the place in amazing ways where the church makes a, real, makes a very clear statement like, hey, we don't, we don't only exist for the 99. We exist. Our priority is the one. We're going after the one that isn't here. And so globally, you see uh, within the vineyard, there are ministries working with refugees, disaster relief, <coughs> rescuing people from human trafficking, poor health, poor water, sanitation, economic injustice, racial injustice. When I, when I look at those, really that same heart of Jesus, I see that functioning when I talked about our food pantry, our medical clinic. We just want to love on people. We want to give encouragement, good news to people that don't normally get good news. We want to lift them up. We want to bless them. I look at, and I feel like I'm always... Uh, bragging on these guys, but, oh, I jumped ahead a little bit. It's the heart behind, I'll come back to that. It's the heart behind our Beyond the Building campaign, which we kicked off last year. Really, the heart of that campaign is we're a church that we're coming from like eight different counties, and we want to learn as, as God leads us and helps us see what the Father's doing. As a church, we want to learn how to go out from here and find that lost one lamb where we live and where we work, and where we, you know, do our lives, etc. And, and so within the church, we, you know, based on this beyond the building, we have, we have a maintenance ministry that has been uh, uh, doing minor home repairs for some people in the church, but for people outside the church, just to encourage people who can't afford it, but their, their house is breaking down. We go in and we try to help them and do what repairs we can. We have uh, uh, an auto repair group that, that's just getting started where people who, who, their cars aren't safe and they can't afford the fixes. So we're coming out, we're trying to help that lost lamb. And, and these are the guys, the guys that I love bragging on, the barbecue brethren, a bunch of guys that just love to, and we're so glad they do, that love to barbecue. But what amazes me is that, you know, this, they, as they've gotten together and this thing has grown, 
they are, they've already done this and they have plans for more. They want to go into low-income areas of the city down into Columbus, crank up those barbecues, and give food away. And as they do that, they'll ask that wonderful question, hey, man, can I pray for you? Well, what are they doing? They're just, they're going and they're looking for that one lost lamb. So that's one of the reasons why we have this distinctive of remember the poor, it's it's doing what Jesus did. And the second reason is this. We remember the poor because it's, it's our response to God's love and how he has responded to us. And what I mean is freely we've received and so we freely give. You know, just think about how Jesus accepts you, right? That, aren't you glad that he's not selective or, or conditional when he, when he pours out his love? Aren't you glad that as you come to Jesus, that he doesn't sort of look at you and go, mm, hey, how much have you listened to the river this week? <laughs> That's like bad. But it's not, I mean, what does he do? Doesn't he pour his love on you? I mean, think, I mean, who cannot relate to the prodigal son? I sure can. I've made a mess of things. I've hurt the people that I love through selfishness and foolishness and just my sin. So who can't relate to coming back to God in rags? I've wasted everything. And think of that story. How does God welcome you? Doesn't he run to you? Doesn't he, in your mess, put his arms around you and kiss you? I mean, what an incredible welcome. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't ream you out. He just, he just expresses his love. Oh, my son, my daughter, you were lost, and now you're found. And he just pours blessing and blessing on you over and over. And I, I know, and I know it's in my heart, that one of the sins of the church is that uh, We receive that kind of acceptance, that kind of welcome from God, and then we don't go out and do the same. I know I'm guilty of this, that I look at people and I judge who I think is worthy, who I think is deserving. Well, you've done this, and you just just keep doing that, or you somehow disqualified from love. And, and blessing and kindness, etc. And I, as I was thinking about that, the remember the story of the <coughs> of the ungrateful servant. Remember that where this this servant owes his master an astronomical amount of money, and then one day the master says, "Hey, it's time to time to pay your debt." And this is how the story goes. Matthew eighteen twenty six. It says, "At this the servant fell on his knees before him, before his master. Be patient with me," he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, like pocket change compared to what he owed. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. And where have we heard this before? Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, that's like a, what an intense story. I'm sure the room was like quiet after Jesus said that. And you know, when I look at that, think about this. That is a story that Jesus made up to prove a point, to get his point across of how important this is to God that we would be a people who, as we've received, that we now turn and give it away. Right? That Jesus is saying, and especially in situations where that person can't repay you. Where that person, you know, whatever their situation of life is, there's no way they'll ever be able to repay your blessing, your kindness to them. And because that's important to Jesus, it needs to be important to us to remember the poor. And, and I believe that, you know, uh, this will continue to be a growth edge. I know it's a growth edge in my life personally, but I believe it will be one for us as a church to learn how to, uh, how to remember the poor, how to be generous as God has been generous with us and how to go after that one uh, lost lamb. So, hey, we're going to end off with this. <clears throat> um, uh, I've got a, a snippet of a John Wimber video. And I really wanted, because I know a lot of you don't really, you know, you don't know who Wimber is and you've never heard him or saw him. And, um, and so this is a, uh, it's probably like, uh, three and a half minutes long. And just so you know, last night we had some audio issues. It's, it's off of YouTube and it's old. Uh, it's an old recording, but it's just no, and I know Kent's doing a great job trying to control it, but just uh, listen hard to it. But, but what he's talking about in this, in this little snippet really to me sums up the heart of the vineyard when we talk about our DNA, what drives us. Uh, so he's talking about one of the first times he went to a church and he'll refer to Carol, who is, who is his wife. And I think that's all I need to do. So, Laurie, let's, uh, let's do this. I had the, what I had in mind after reading the Gospels was that all these people would come to this building, they would sort of pray a little bit and talk, you know, rev each other up and talk about it, and then sort of divvy up the turf... And then everybody would hit the streets and they'd go out and multiply a few fishes and loaves and heal the sick and cast out a demon or two and win the lost and then come back to church and meet in the afternoon. So, now, you, you, you know, you're looking at me like, no, that's actually what I expected to happen. So I went there the first week and ready to go. And we got in there, you know, we all kind of, it was a building, something like this, and we all kind of got seated and everything. And, and they, they did this, and they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this. But no fish, you know, and, and uh, no loaves, no demons, you know. And uh, so uh, afterwards, I, uh, you know, I went to this friend of mine who had invited me. I said, did they have a bye today or what? I mean, what happened? And, uh, he says, what do you mean? And, and Carol grabbed my sleeve and said, come on, you know, don't, don't be doing it. You're, you're a troublemaker. And uh, all we knew how to do in those days was, was fight and make children. And... Uh, We finally quit doing both. <laughs> so we, uh, I went home, and, and uh, she couldn't talk me into going back for two or three weeks. And finally I said, okay, I'll go, but I'm only going to go if they're going to go do it. So we went back there, and uh, they didn't do it. <laughs> it's the same stuff that they did the time before. But 
so afterwards, I went out on the front lawn. They had a front lawn there where everybody sort of stood around and talked afterwards. And this guy had a, a badge, you know, on this. He looked important. So I went up and grabbed his sleeve, and I said, um, excuse me. And he said, yes. He was, kind of, he was tall. He was bigger than mine. And I said, excuse me. And he said, yes. And I said, uh, when do they do it? And he said, do what? I said, you know, the stuff in the book. He said, what stuff? I said, you know, the stuff, the, this stuff, this stuff here, like, like, uh, sight to the blind, um, the deaf, you know, those kind of people, um, dumb, that, that kind of stuff, you know, walking stuff, you know, the, the healing stuff, the stuff that they do in the book. And he said, he looked at me like I had two heads, and he says, oh, we don't do it. I said, what? I said, you don't do it? And he says, no, we don't do it. And I said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. I said, I gave up drugs for this. You're telling me they don't do it? He says, no. He says, sometimes we sing about it. So I went and got in the car, and my wife and I had an argument all the way home. And I said, what's the use? I mean, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. Now I'm working for Jesus, I want to do his stuff. And see, I didn't know that anybody did his stuff. And in fact, what I was taught early on was that nobody was doing it better go. than they were. Isn't that great? <laughs> That's funny. Now, uh, I really believe that captures who we are as a movement. Like, we want to do this. We want a faith that has power. We want a faith that's effective, that can actually make a difference. So let me ask you a question. Who of you, as you were watching that, it just stirred your heart? It stirred in you a desire of, I want to get in on that. Now you're afraid to put your hand up, aren't you? Put your hand up real high. Okay, so here's what, what I want to do to end off, and that's a lot of people. But why don't we stand up? I felt like God said today, I was praying last night, uh, I got over the Buckeyes' loss, and I guess I thought I, th I guess I still do believe in you, but uh, that's a joke. But I said, "What do you want to do today?" He said, and clearly I felt like he said after the video, "Ask who did that stir up," and and he said, "Because the people that I'm stirring up, that is my invitation." He whoever got stirred up, son, daughter, your father today is inviting you. He's saying, you, you're gonna, you get to play. You get to do what Jesus did. So here's what I would ask. Gonna, and this is audience participation. We're going to end off. Ben's going to lead us in a song. But those people, now let's see if you put your hand up again. Those people who said it stirred you, put your hand up real high. We want to gather around each one. So we're going to need lots of people to pray. Okay, and so all I'm asking you to do, the, the people that don't have their hands up, is to gather around someone near you. If you're like, okay, this is weird. Why did I come to this church today? You can have a free coffee afterwards. But I would encourage you, I would encourage you to just go and watch. 
Just go stand and listen. Just be a spectator. But all, all I'm asking you to do is prayers is just uh, put your hand on this person, ask him, was it okay to put my hand on your shoulder? And just invite the Holy Spirit. And then really it's just, God, I bless what you're doing in, insert their name here. Because it's not us who's doing it. We're participating. But I believe that God has signaled, has, has pointed people out that he wants to do something in your life today. So you're gonna have to move around. Again, hand, or people that, want, that uh, were responding to that, put your hand up real high. Let's make sure everyone is getting prayer. Okay, and as soon as you have people around you, take your hand down, but please keep your hand up. And let's make sure everyone's getting prayed for. If you aren't praying or observing, just feel free to sing along and, as Ben leads us. And then in a few minutes here, I'm going to end the service. So make sure everyone has someone praying for them. So we're going to need lots of helpers. Keep moving around. Keep looking. We still have we still got one up front. We've got some in this row over here. And if there aren't people, maybe you have to turn and pray for each other, okay? But we just, if there's someone near you, just put a hand on them. Let's just say like Tim, for instance, that man in front of you. Now I'm going to start calling out names. Uh, who can we see here? Gina, do you mind praying here? Look at that. You've been deputized. Okay. We still have one in the back. And it's Olivia. She'd be the most awesome person. Okay, she's covered. Okay. Just take some time to pray. Invite the Holy Spirit. Just bless what God is doing. arms open wide so desperate for you so in need of your life may our praise fill your ears may our cries touch your heart cause we need your presence
you're coming close and all the ways you're encouraging and uh, stirring in people that you, all the ways you're awakening inside people and Lord I pray if there's any takeaway today it would be the reminder that your plan has always been to do your work on earth through us Lord that it's always been your plan to gather people to gather everyday people and then to empower them and equip them, and then each day to invite them into the work that you're doing. Lord, I thank you that everyone gets to play, but I just confess that we don't always want to play. And I ask you to forgive us for that. And I pray that you would just stir a hunger and a desire in us to want to uh, follow your lead each day at work and home and just all the stuff of life. Lord, we truly would be equipped saints uh, mimicking Jesus so thank you for your presence and again we, I just pray blessing over everyone here you watch over us as we go in Jesus name Amen